0: Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and I'm the Executive Director of the International Outreach and Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. And these two ministries are the sponsors of this program. To learn more about either, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The Bible teaches that the spiritually alive church is a waiting church that eagerly looks for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that waiting posture, this renewed church gathers to celebrate that final gathering to Jesus when He comes. They pray, they proclaim, and they worship, all informed by their eager waiting for the coming again of Jesus Christ. If you look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you have this wonderful depiction of a worshiping church. I believe that what is presented for us there is the worship of the raptured church. I believe it's a portrait of the worship that will take place from the redeemed from the Old Testament and the New Testament who are drawn together to be with Christ in heaven. It's an interposition. It's the worship that takes place during what we would call the Great Tribulation before Christ returns at the end of that Great Tribulation and we return with Him in order to reign upon the earth. But during that time in which Christ is finishing up The last strategic movements of his judgments and his work in this historical age before he brings this rain upon the earth. where The Bible says he'll reign for a thousand years. We get a picture of what we're going to be doing in his presence. Worshipping. Worshipping the lion and the lamb. Revelations 4, verses 6 through 11. Take your Bibles. Let's read it there for a moment. So you can get an image and a picture of the worshiping church. In the presence of our Savior. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. It's very similar to the vision that you had in Isaiah chapter 6. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, that's the church, and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. And there's the worship that's taking place in the raptured church. Revelation chapter 5, go over there. Let me read to you verses 9 through 14. Pick up this theme of worship. Worship. There John has looked to see who it is that has prevailed in order to open up the scrolls to carry out the last and final plans of all of human history before the final establishment of God's kingdom and reign upon this earth and he weeps because no one comes forward to open up the scroll and they say don't weep because there's one who's prevailed and he looks to see the Lion of Judah and he looks to see one as a lamb who's been slain, who's been given power to open up the scroll and carry out God's sovereign plan over all of history and bring it to conclusion. And then he says this, speaking of the great multitude that's in that place in heaven at that time. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This gospel shall be preached in all the earth and then the end shall come. You see, people of every tongue and every tribe and every nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, which is the church, and the number of them was, now the elders are, ten thousands times, ten thousands and thousands and thousands. The representation of the body of Christ now swelled to an innumerable multitude before the throne, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. The praise of a revived and waiting church will be an eschatological forecast to the worship that will one day rise up in all of heaven as we watch the great orchestration of our King bringing about the final stages of human history and then taking up the plans to rule and reign upon the earth. And In anticipation of that day, we will cry out and worship and rejoice and praise Him. And when we worship Him here, it ought to be an expression of that hope and that longing and that waiting and that confident promise. Our songs of praise ought to mingle with the voices we will raise one day, together with all, before the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a change in our praising. By the way, it won't be a fixation upon ourselves. We won't sing songs about what we're doing. We won't sing songs about what we're feeling. We won't be taking our pulse. We'll just be saying, "Worthy is the Lamb." Our eyes will be upon him. We'll exalt him in His name and his triumph and his glory." It will be the essence of our worship and our praise, and it ought to be still today. The revived and waiting church is renewed in its worship, in the presence of an anticipation and an expression, a wonderful, prophetic expression of the worship that will be ours one day. Think about it. One day, Christ is going to return. The Bible says he's coming for us, his bride. And at that moment, he will be glorified among us. But not only that, we will be glorified before him. Every vestige of sin will be removed from our lives. Our body will somehow sprout up to be something we've never known it to be or imagined it to be radiating with the glorious transference of our life into the very presence of Jesus Christ and his life in us so that there will be no sin in us, and we will radiate His righteousness that He has clothed us with. And in that moment, we're going to praise Him. We're going to say, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. Oh, God, how glorious is your salvation. And our praise today should then be an expression of that day of praise, that endless day of praise. And it becomes that When God renews within us this great waiting desire by reviving us. Here's the last thing. The revived and waiting church will find its celebration of the Lord's table will turn to focus on the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This celebration will be directed towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 26. Paul writes this in giving instructions about the communion table that's before us. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and it said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul writes this explanation For as often as you drink this bread, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes you have your eye on the return of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus said when he was celebrating this meals with his disciples, I won't celebrate this feast with you again until I celebrate with you in glory. We long for that time. We don't have Christ's physical presence with us at this time. We can't tangibly see him. We can't tangibly touch him. We don't taste with him in a sense the experience of that great feast one day. We'll eat with him. And so what the Lord Jesus has done is given us the physicality of his presence in this table. While he's absent from us in the body, he has given us this table where these symbols allow us and lead us into a consideration of a tangible exercise of his presence among us with our eyes on the second coming when it will be fully realized. And so we hold in our hands the expression of his body and his presence. We take to our lips the taste of the great feast that he'll give us one day in his presence. We observe it and we see it and these things are reminders that though Christ is here with us spiritually, one day we shall see him face to face. One day we shall cling to him and hold him again. We shall lay our hands upon the pierced feet of the one who's died for us. In An adoration and page and we'll feel the feet and we'll sense it and we'll know it and all these things will not be simply things that we know intellectually or things that we know mystically and wonderfully, but we'll know them in tangible reality. And until that moment, God has given us this meal as a tangible exercise, some sense in which through sight and through taste, we may remind ourselves that one day we shall be with Him and see Him and feast with Him in that great day. And as we do, we long for His coming. We long for His coming. We long for His coming. The Lord Jesus, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, sent out seven letters to the churches. These letters suggested that his eyes were searching through those churches at that time. He was seeing what was going on. He knew what was taking place. And he only brings a commendation to two of those churches. Five of them he pronounces rather stern judgments and warnings to them. John actually gives us a picture of Christ as he's watching over the churches and presiding over the churches in judgment. Remember, judgment first begins with the house of God. And the image that John gives us of Christ searching over the churches is a rather startling and terrifying image. It's found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And again, I read it to you as a concluding thought. John describes this Lord with his searching eye upon the church. He says, Then I turned to see the voice of he who was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And the middle of the lampstands, which were a reflection of these churches, I saw one like the Son of Man, Clothed in a robe reaching down to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished or burning bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is our Savior. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who walks to judge the life of the church, and his life is in this place before he left and went to establish himself and prepare the kingdom that he's bringing upon the earth he told us that we were to be vigilant that we would live with our lives serving him and with our eyes upon his coming he wanted us to find us waiting for him and longing for that return and he left us to be a waiting church and now he looks down upon us is that what he sees is that what he sees Could we be a waiting church, longing for His return? Could we want to be together more and more because He's coming soon? Could we bind together to want to see more and more people come to Christ? Could we agree together that we would strategically pledge ourselves to pray for lost friends and family members day in and day out and support one another in those sober judgments and those sober prayers? Could we gather together and release ourselves in the worship that one day we'll experience before his throne in great anticipation? Could we eat this meal together until he comes with our eye on his coming? Even so, Lord Jesus, move us in this place. Your redemption is drawing near. Find us waiting.